Welcome to Celebrate Poe, a deep dive into the life, times, and works of America Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe. This is Episode 26, The Language of God. Since we are entering the third of four episodes dealing with Stanton, Virginia in the Shenandoah Valley, the intro and outro music is from an arrangement I did of O Shenandoah featuring the sounds of the autoharp. In this podcast episode, I would like to talk about an individual born in Stanton, Dr. Francis Collins, who just might be one of the greatest Americans who has ever lived. And by the time this episode is over, you just might agree with me. In the excellent book, The Language of God, A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief, Dr. Francis Collins writes about his life and works. Now, out of necessity, I'm just going to touch on some of the areas of his life and highly recommend that you experience his writings. His second book is The Language of Life, DNA and the Revolution, in personalized medicine. I listened to the audiobook versions of both books from the local library, and I think I liked The uh, Language of God better because it is read by the author, and you get Dr. Collins' inflections and feel his enthusiasm regarding religion and science. I think it is far more meaningful to hear the author relate his or own story in his own words and with his own voice. Now, Francis Collins was the youngest of four sons of Fletcher Collins and Margaret Collins. He was raised on a dirt farm in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. His parents had met at graduate school at Yale in 1931 and were skilled community organizers. They worked with Eleanor Roosevelt in attempting to reinvigorate a depressed mining community in West Virginia called Authorville. It is said that when Eleanor Roosevelt would want to go to Authorville, she frequently just got in her car and drove there from Washington, D.C. Can you, ima- can you imagine a first lady today just jumping in a car and driving alone to a destination on a country road? And each year, Eleanor Roosevelt would convince her husband, the then-President Franklin Roosevelt, to speak at the small, very small high school in Authorville. Imagine having the President of the United States as your high school graduation speaker. Anyway, after World War II, Fletcher and Margaret Collins could be described as hippies ahead of their time. This was during the 1940s. They moved to the Shenandoah Valley, bought a 95-acre farm, and tried to raise crops without farm equipment. Mr. Collins soon realized that life on a farm was not going to feed his family, so he got a job teaching drama at a local college, Mary Baldwin University. Later, I studied at Mary Baldwin University, and I'll talk about that in the next episode, but I was never fortunate enough to have Dr. Fletcher Collins as a professor, but I know that he was highly respected on campus. Fletcher and Margaret Collins also started a great outdoor theater called Oak Grove, and attending plays there was one of the highlights of my youth. Now back to Francis Collins. He originally wanted to be a chemist. He considered biology to be a messy science. Then he went on to graduate school at the University of Virginia and then Yale. While at Yale, he took a course in biochemistry, and this was the course that sparked his interest in biology and changed his life. 
He changed fields and enrolled in medical school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. After his medical residency, he returned to Yale, where he studied human genetics. Over the years, he conducted genetics research and eventually became the director of the Human Genome Project. Then-President Clinton and Dr. Uh, Collins announced together that uh, Dr. Collins and a team of researchers had discovered a working draft of the human genome. Rather than uh, trying to explain the significance of this discovery, I'm going to play a portion from almost 10 years ago of President Clinton and Dr. Collins announcing that discovery in the East Room of the White House. I think this is probably the best way to wrap your head around the genuine significance of this discovery. First, the address by President Clinton, followed by some words by Dr. Collins. Both speeches are about five to six minutes long, and I feel they are definitely worth your attention. These are findings that, after all, could lead to an eventual, an eventual cure for cancer, Alzheimer's, and a host of other diseases. I suspect that the findings of the Human Genome Project and Dr. Collins' work are valuable contributions to the development of a vaccine for COVID. The National Institutes of Health, of which Dr. Collins is director now, have done a great deal of work in this area. Nearly two centuries ago, in this room, on this floor, Thomas Jefferson and a trusted aide spread out a magnificent map, a map Jefferson had long prayed he would get to see in his lifetime. The aide was Meriwether Lewis, and the map was the product of his courageous expedition across the American frontier all the way to the Pacific. It was a map that defined the contours and forever expanded the frontiers of our continent and our imagination. Today, the world is joining us here in the East Room to behold a map of even greater significance. We are here to celebrate the completion of the first survey of the entire human genome. Without a doubt, this is the most important, most wondrous map ever produced by humankind. The moment we are here to witness was brought about through brilliant and painstaking work of scientists all over the world, including many men and women here today. It was not even 50 years ago that a young Englishman named Crick and a brash, even younger American named Watson first discovered the elegant structure of our genetic code. Dr. Watson, the way you announced your discovery in the journal Nature was one of the great understatements of all time. This structure has novel features, which are of considerable biological interest. <laughs> Thank you, sir. How far we have come since that day. In the intervening years, we have pooled the combined wisdom of biology, chemistry, physics, engineering, mathematics, and computer science, tapped the great strengths and insights of the public and private sectors. More than a thousand researchers across six nations have revealed nearly all three billion letters of our miraculous genetic code. I congratulate all of you on this stunning and humbling achievement. 
Today's announcement represents more than just an epoch-making triumph of science and reason. After all, when Galileo discovered he could use the tools of mathematics and mechanics to understand the motion of celestial bodies, he felt, in the words of one eminent researcher, that he had learned the language in which God created the universe. Today we are learning the language in which God created life. We are gaining ever more awe for the complexity, the beauty, the wonder of God's most divine and sacred gift. With this profound new knowledge, humankind is on the verge of gaining immense new power to heal. Genome science will have a real impact on all our lives, and even more, on the lives of our children. It will revolutionize the diagnosis, prevention, and treatment of most, if not all, human diseases. In coming years, doctors increasingly will be able to cure diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, diabetes, and cancer by attacking their genetic roots. Just to offer one example, patients with some forms of leukemia and breast cancer already are being treated in clinical trials with sophisticated new drugs that precisely target the faulty genes in cancer cells with little or no risk to healthy cells. In fact, it is now conceivable that our children's children will know the term cancer only as a constellation of stars. But today's historic achievement is only a starting point. There is much hard work yet to be done. And that is why I'm so pleased to announce that from this moment forward, the robust and healthy competition that has led us to this day, and that always is essential to the progress of science, will be coupled with enhanced public-private cooperation. Public and private research teams are committed to publishing their genomic data simultaneously later this year for the benefit of researchers in every corner of the globe. And after publication, both sets of teams will join together for an historic sequence analysis conference. Together they will examine what scientific insights have been gleaned from both efforts and how we can most judiciously proceed toward the next majestic horizons. What are those next horizons? Well, first, we will complete a virtually error-free final draft of the human genome before the 50th anniversary of the discovery of the double helix, less than three years from now. Second, through sustained and vigorous support for public and private research, we must sort through this trove of genomic data to identify every human gene. We must discover the function of these genes and their protein products. And then we must rapidly convert that knowledge into treatments that can lengthen and enrich lives. I want to emphasize that biotechnology companies are absolutely essential in this endeavor. For it is they who will bring to the market the life-enhancing applications of the information from the human genome. And for that reason, this administration is committed to helping them to make the kind of long-term investments that will change the face of medicine forever. The third horizon that lies before us is one that science cannot approach alone. It is the horizon that represents the ethical, moral, and spiritual dimension of the power we now possess. We must not shrink from exploring that far frontier of science. But as we consider how to use new discovery, we must also not retreat from our oldest and most cherished human values. We must ensure that new genome science and its benefits will be directed toward making life better for all citizens of the world, never just a privileged few. 
As we unlock the secrets of the human genome, we must work simultaneously to ensure that new discoveries never pry open the doors of privacy. And we must guarantee that genetic information cannot be used to stigmatize or discriminate against any individual or group. Increasing knowledge of the human genome must never change the basic belief on which our ethics, our government, our society are founded. All of us are created equal, entitled to equal treatment under the law. After all, I believe one of the great truths to emerge from this triumphant expedition inside the human genome is that in genetic terms, all human beings, regardless of race, are more than 99.9% the same. What that means is that modern science has confirmed what we first learned from ancient fates. The most important fact of life on this earth is our common humanity. My greatest wish on this day for the ages is that this incandescent truth will always guide our actions as we continue to march forth in this, the greatest age of discovery ever known. After a remote address given by Tony Blair, then Prime Minister of England, Dr. Collins spoke. First of all, I would like to thank most sincerely President Clinton for his remarkable leadership in getting us to this point. His strong and consistent voice for the importance of innovative science and its responsible uses to better the human condition has been an inspiration to all of us. He knows that genomics is one of the truly interdisciplinary fields of science requiring vigorous and creative involvement from physics, chemistry, engineering, computer science, and biology. I have also had the privilege to witness time and again the President's personal conviction that we must apply just as much energy and attention to solving the ethical, legal, and social issues as we do to the bench research, and you saw that demonstrated again a few moments ago. His effective leadership in this area has moved us substantially closer to the time when no American need fear that information about their genome will be used against them. Science is a voyage of exploration into the unknown. We are here today to celebrate a milestone along a truly unprecedented voyage, this one into ourselves. Alexander Pope wrote, Know then thyself, presume not God to scan. The proper study of mankind is man. What more powerful form of study of mankind could there be than to read our own instruction book. I've been privileged over the last seven years to lead an international team of more than a thousand of some of the best and brightest scientists of our current generation, some of them here in this room, who have been truly dedicated to this goal. Today, we celebrate the revelation of the first draft of the human book of life. Now, this milestone could only have come about with a happy combination of vision, determination, creative innovation, and teamwork, and we stand on many shoulders here today. Beginning 15 years ago, leaders in the Department of Energy, the National Academy of Sciences, and the National Institutes of Health began to dream this dream. At first, many thought it unrealistic and unattainable, yet inspired by visionaries such as James Watson, who's here with us this morning, creative geniuses such as Waterston, Sulston, Lander, Branscombe, Gibbs, and many others here with us this morning entered the fray. 
the vigorous involvement of talented colleagues in other countries, now including China, France, Germany, Japan, and the United Kingdom, have made this project particularly gratifying to me. I would also like to recognize publicly the dedicated leadership of my friend and colleague, Ari Petrinos of the Department of Energy, in moving this project forward in the most visible and spectacular milestone of all. Most of the sequencing of the human genome by this international consortium has been done in just the last 15 months. During that time, this consortium has developed the capacity to sequence 1,000 letters of the DNA code per second, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We have developed a map of overlapping fragments that includes 97% of the human genome, and we have sequenced 85% of this. The sequence data is of higher quality than expected, with half of it in finished or near-finished form. And all of this information has been placed in public databases every 24 hours, where any scientist with an internet connection can use it to help unravel the mysteries of human biology. Already, more than a dozen genes responsible for diseases from deafness to kidney disease to cancer have been identified using this resource just in the last year. So there is much to celebrate. But I have to tell you that this morning is also a bittersweet experience for me personally. Less than 24 hours ago, I attended the funeral of my beloved sister-in-law, a wonderful marionette artist who brought magic and joy to thousands of children with her art. She died much too soon of breast cancer. The hope and promise of understanding all of the genes in the genome and applying this knowledge to the development of powerful new tools came just too late for her. I think I speak for all of us in this room and for the millions of others who have come to believe in the remarkable promise of biomedical research that we must redouble our efforts to speed the application of these profound and fundamental observations about the human genome to the cure of disease. That most desirable of all outcomes will only come about with a continued powerful and dedicated partnership between basic science investigators and academia and their colleagues in the biotechnology and pharmaceutical industries. As the President has said, we still have much to do. Many tasks lie ahead if we learn how to speak the language of the genome fluently. Today is most certainly not the end of genomics, but perhaps it's the end of the beginning. Together, we must develop the advances in medicine that are the real reason for doing this work. And with just as much vigor, we must provide the protections against potential misuses of genetic information. If there is anyone within the sound of my voice who has not seen that as a priority, I hope today's announcement is the necessary wake-up call. It's a happy day for the world. It is humbling for me and awe-inspiring to realize that we have caught the first glimpse of our own instruction book, previously known only to God. What a profound responsibility it is to do this work. Historians will consider this a turning point. Researchers in a few years will have trouble imagining how we studied human biology without the genome sequence in front of us. I particularly welcome the opportunity to celebrate this moment jointly with our scientific colleagues at Solera Genomics, and I wish to express my personal gratitude to Dr. Craig Venter for his openness in the cooperative planning process that led to this joint announcement. I congratulate him and his team on the work done at Solera, which uses an elegant and innovative strategy that is highly complementary to the approach taken by the public project. Much will be learned from a comparison of the two. I am happy that today, 
the only race we are talking about is the human race. Dr. Collins used President Clinton's references to God in his language for the title of the book, The Language of God. And I similarly use The Language of God as the title of this episode. Dr. Collins is a highly religious man, constantly concerned about ethics and doing the right thing. Rather than go into his evolution of faith and how he convincingly reconciles belief in a supreme being with the world of science, I recommend that you read The Language of God for Dr. Collins' story. It is an extremely nuanced and powerful book. Now, in the next coming weeks, I plan to deal with how individuals deal with diseases and epidemics in the early 19th century. Of course, getting back to Poe, too. But, for example, when an epidemic like tuberculosis during Poe's time, when that occurred, people in New England felt that consumption was caused by vampires. It was only with the discovery of the germ theory of disease that vaccines became possible. As head of the NIH, Dr. Collins has worked tirelessly in dealing with COVID from a scientific point of view. In fact, he's Anthony Fauci's boss. But uh, that will have to wait for a future podcast. Sources for this podcast include The Language of God, A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief, and The Language of Life, DNA and the Revolution in Personalized Medicine, both by Dr. Francis Collins. Remember to check out the webpage for this podcast at celebratepo.buzzsprout.com for some audio, show notes, and a transcript. That's celebratepo.buzzsprout.com. Join this podcast next uh, episode for the final episode in our Stanton series, Shakespeare and Trains. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.